The following is a For Vengeance Media production. we love is undergoing a shift. What a beauty! Borders are breaking down. Some might say disappearing. Huge goal. And the freedom to choose is gaining momentum. Through it all, players are better than ever at all levels. From youth hockey to the best junior leagues and the highest level, the game is reaching new heights. Presented by Four Vengeance Media. This is Game Changers, the home of hockey. On Silent Ice TV. Game Changers here on Silent Ice TV. We are back from our Christmas and New Year's break, and we already have had one full JPHL showcase in the books, as well as some very big Saints news, and uh, the World Juniors have come and gone. It's time to get moving in 2024. You put that last year in the rearview mirror, you start looking towards the playoff push in all the different leagues that are out there. Uh, We are going to take a look back, however, at the World Junior Championship as our guests today include Dennis Bayak, uh, the voice of the World Juniors on TSN, certainly one of them, and a 53-year career behind the mic. Uh, Recently retired, signing off for the last time on TSN and Brandon Ewan Cheshen, president of Four Vengeance Media, just getting started in his what will be a long, illustrious broadcasting career. Two ends of the spectrum, me right in the middle on today's show. Uh, Ewan, the voice of the Saints, and uh, we're going to chat about uh, the terrific things that we have had going here at Four Vengeance Media. And we're also going to be discussing what is a very stressful and busy time in a hockey player's life. Yes, the trade deadline in junior hockey is upon us. Well, it's it's gone now. So we're going to talk to uh, Brandon a little bit about that and how Four Vengeance Media is changing how youth hockey gets covered. Brandon Ewan Cheshin, president of 4V and voice of the Saints, joins us now. All right, joining me now, Brandon Ewan Cheshin, fresh off uh, when we're recording this, a big victory for the Saints, or you just dress up for this show. I'm not sure which it is, but uh, I'm happy either way because... uh, the Saints' victory over the number two team and one of the best teams in Canada in uh, the Sherwood Park Crusaders. Uh, pretty impressive on Wednesday night to pick up that victory on a busy, busy day with the trade deadline. Yeah, what was it ever from corporate videos to the trade deadline to uh, gear to prepping for the upcoming weekend? Yeah, it was a heck of a Wednesday for sure. 
But uh, no, I actually just put a suit on to come on Game Changers. It's got nothing <laughs> to do with the game I just called a couple hours ago. Um, always dressing up for you, Dean. But uh, to the matter at hand, yeah, what a victory it was for Spruce Grove. 4-2 the final tonight over Sherwood Park in a game where the stat line going in, not friendly for Spruce Grove for sure. I mean, Sherwood Park comes in winners of 10 straight. They beat Spruce Grove all three times beforehand. This was the final matchup. Their power play second in the AJHL. And like you said, they're a top-ranked team, not only in the AJ, but in the CJHL in the country as well. So a tall task for Spruce Grove, especially with some gold medal winners there from Team Canada West just a month ago at the World Junior A, specifically the gold sender in Eric Roost, who in my mind is the best in the league. And he was great tonight, just a couple uh, same shots that beat him. I mean, Ashton McNally tips home a Matt Lessick shot playing in his second career uh, AJHL game. He's now got three points through two games. Great bump there for the GPHL and his development. And a guy that didn't play an important game basically from last week until what? The U18 finals last year in March at right. the Meadows in the JPHL. So cool for him to get in now. He's a cool story. Obviously, it sucks how much time he missed with the broken collarbone. But like 130-some days, I think Tyler and I calculated between meaningful games. So he gets in on the scoring as well. Ryder made it on the power play. A beautiful shot. And then Kiefer Miller with a Ryan Smith type, just go to the net and put it in on a Johnstone rush. That was, again, assisted by the aforementioned Matt Lessick. And then the biggest story of the game, and, and everybody would agree, was Ryan DeCook. It was fantastic tonight. Absolutely unbelievable. The second period alone, I mean, Sherwood Park is on the power play a couple times. I think he made three mask saves alone in the second period. But tonight he makes 32 stops and a lot of quality stops, scrambles, second and third chances, but what a rookie season he is having for Spruce Grove in the AJHL and another product of the JPHL and more specifically the Lethbridge United. And we talked to him about it. He's been on the show, but just such a cool story about, uh, about Ryan this year and the rookie season he's having. If he does not win rookie of the year, Dino, I'm going to come on this show and really <laughs> give my opinion because he deserves it through and through. He has been remarkable for a 2005 yeah, uh, the, his impact being felt in two spots, Spruce Grove, where he's having a great impact and, and where he's not in Lethbridge, and they're they're having a tougher time in the JPHL this year and showing just, you know, how many maybe warts he covered it, and that's uh, no disrespect to every everybody in Lethbridge. Uh, they will tell you themselves how many games he saved for them, especially down the stretch, uh, so I agree. And, and how big of a victory is it? Uh, to get one victory against Sherwood Park this year in the case that, you know, you may face them in the first round or maybe the second round. Who knows? It's a wide-open playoff format this year. So having this game to look back on, should you face your uh, cross-city rival, uh, is huge, I think. Yeah, could this game be the four vengeance media turning point in the season for Spruce Grove? I guess we'll find out. But yeah, the top 14 teams make it this year. The top two get a bye. So right now that would be Sherwood Park and Brooks. And then it's a playoff from three to 14 and all the way down the line. So yeah, it wouldn't be a first round matchup right now, but it could very well be a second round matchup or it could be Brooks. Um, it's wide open this year as the AJHL moves to just one division through and through the full interlock schedule. You play... Uh, each team four times, except the old Grizzlies, which we got him at the showcase. So it was actually five games against Olds, which has not happened since I think it was the 2008-2009 AJHL playoffs, which Spruce Grove won that series in four, but then went on to lose to Grand Prairie in the final. But then the year later, 
the decade plus of dominance by Spruce Grove and Brooks mm-hmm. commenced as to where we are today. Fun fact, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, a, a massive victory for sure. And one to look back on if you do see him in March or April that, hey, we can compete with this team. We can beat this team. And, and you just go back to to Spruce Grove and the Jekyll and Hyde, you know. You beat a really good Black Falls team on December 19th. You were there for that one. Statement victory. But then after the break, Bonneville comes in and, and just demolishes you for nothing in a game where you kind of played flat. And then go back to last Friday, 7-0 over Ford McMurray, a dominant game where you don't look back. But then you go into Olds, and you unfortunately lose to the last-place team. And then three days later, put up a great performance and a win against the second-best team in the league in Sherwood Park. So the Spruce Grove Saints, they have it in them. They have it in the toolbox. It's just what they want to do that night. If they play like this, though, I'm telling you, they could have some serious success in the postseason. Well, it's trade deadline day uh, on when we're recording uh, across Canada. Uh, I think there were 10,000 draft picks traded in the Ontario Hockey League. I mean, so, some of those trades in the Ontario Hockey League, are they make the Eric Lindros t- trade look tame. There's, there's so many picks. Uh, not as many picks in the Western Hockey League, all, although we did see Savoy, Geeky, and Danielson, probably the, the three biggest. Portland uh, giving up a lot to, to get Danielson uh, from Brandon. And then in the AJHL, also uh, a lot of trades. No picks, obviously, but one in including the Saints uh, that we'll get to that will involve uh, DeCook, but Zach Oniskew on the way to Brooks. How does this trade shake out for Spruce Grove, and uh, how does uh, this help the Brooks Bandits uh, with getting Zach Oniskew? Yeah, it's interesting for sure. Um, There's a lot of ways to look at it. Uh, The best story I could give, um, Brooks is in some trouble. I think Brandon Hollihan, who was their quote-unquote backup, is done for the year with some type of injury that we do not know about. So they needed a goalie, first and foremost. So they went out and got Alex Scheivler for future considerations from the Okotoks Oilers. Scheivler, a young goaltender, I've always liked him. Um, to be honest, I love his style. I love the way that he plays. He's played against Bruce Grove now for two seasons. Um, he's an 18-year-old. He goes to Brooks. But then Brooks at the deadline, literally in the last hour, sends Alex Scheibler to Spruce Grove in exchange for Zach Onescu. So I think with Onescu, they're just trying to get a little bit more mature in that position. Johnny Hicks is still their starter. There was also some talk even in my head because he came from Merritt of the BCHL. Vernon acquired his rights today in the BCHL, so there was a move maybe in my mind that he was going to go back to BC and Zach was going to be the starter in Brooks. That's not the case. He is still a Brooks bandit. So you, you see it here. Uh, Zach Oniskew goes over to Brooks alongside Johnny Hicks. They'll form the tandem. And now Alex Scheivler and Ryan DeCook, the tandem in Spruce Grove. And I, I think that really is a really a big pat on Ryan DeCook's head because the coaching staff, the hockey operations staff, they now have the confidence to know that he's the number one guy, and nobody's going to take that away from him in the short term, at least. Uh, Alex Scheivler, he's 18. He can definitely push Ryan DeCook <clears throat> in the future here, but I think that's just a testament to DeCook's play and how well he's played this year. I mean, if you're not confident in him, you don't trade away your older goaltender and Zach Onescu. So, yeah, a little bit of, of shakeup there in the crease for sure, but I think it sets Spruce Grove up well, not only in short term, but in the long term um, as well. And then uh, yesterday or earlier this week, Carter Oakenfold mm-hmm. uh, announcing that he's no longer going to continue in the AJHL with Bruce Grove. He's taking his talents to West Kelowna, 
in the BCHL. There was a couple teams in the mix, but West Kelowna is where he's landing. Uh, and there's one more move in the works as well. It has to do with the NAHL and uh, Spruce Grove. So there's not an interconnection there. There's USA Hockey involved in the works, but I think that one will come out tomorrow. It's a forward, not per se to replace Oakenfold, but it was in the works regardless to get one more forward with that final card. So we'll see more on that tomorrow. But overall, Spruce Grove not as quiet as they've been in deadlines past, and I think doing a good job today. Yeah, and it's interesting, uh, Ethan Morrow also uh, heading out to the BCHL. So uh, some teams losing players in that regard, some teams moving players around in different areas. And I, I look at this move as exactly what you said, a lot of confidence when it comes to a guy like Ryan DeCook for next year. I think the Saints should have extreme confidence in a, in a guy like Teo Pisani, who is just, man, has he really improved in the last uh, six weeks of of the season, especially, he's just really found that gear. Lessick, as you're talking about, uh, has rejoined, and you know, such a smart player that I got to see last year in the JPHL. Adam Perron will be coming on also from the JPHL. So uh, Spruce Grove finding out, like uh, the Seattle Thunderbirds, that. You can uh, stock the cupboard with some really talented players from the Junior Prospects Hockey League, mix them in with everybody else, and you've got a recipe of some really good young players moving forward. This might not be the the, the year, uh, unfortunately, where Spruce Grove goes all the way, although the playoffs can be a different story. But looking at this roster, you got to be pretty excited for next year already. Yeah, it is a very exciting look for next year. Um, and like you said, you know, playoff time comes around. It's the Spruce Grove Saints. You never know yeah. what can happen in the postseason. Right. There have been a lot of years where they've been third in the North Division back when there was a division, and they still came out and reached a league final. Um, the, the most recent example of that was uh, 2019, I believe, when uh, Spruce Grove went on to beat uh, Sherwood Park in six um, and then go on to the league final. The year after was that Sherwood Park year of – Matt Benning, Carter Savoy, uh, Carter Guylander, I think, in net. And a lot of big talent, but it got cut short because of COVID. So that North Final that year would have been insane. I mean, Sherwood Park fans will tell you that they would have won the series. We'll never know. But I like to think when the chips are down, Spruce Grove is going to get it done. Expos fans will tell you the same thing about 1994. They would have won the World Series, but we'll just never know. The same thing. Exactly, exactly. But to the JPHL talent and what a talent has proven to be, not only at the Western Hockey League level with Seattle and Antonio Martirana and Samuel Charco, and the list is going to continue there as well, especially this year come uh, WHL draft time. Um, but for Spruce Grove and Matt Lessick, who is through and through a HSL, JPHL player, uh, to now finally getting some game action. He's got, again, three points in just two games. He's been fantastic. He'll get his first goal here very soon. Ryan DeCook. Can't talk enough about him and the season that he's had so far. But you have some other HSL alumni and what would have morphed into the JPHL. And Grayson Niehaus, a guy that, you know, was signed midway through the year from the St. Albert Raiders, but played some time with SPHA and Sainsbury Hockey Academy and the Hockey Super League beforehand. Ethan Cronowit, uh, same deal. He was a member of both of those programs. Um, <clears throat> but the list can kind of go on. You go back to the Western League and... Sam Popovich and Scott Radslav and Coster Dunn, Reed Schaefer, Matt Rempe. I mean, the, the list can kind of go on and on of the development that's come from the HSL now to the JPHL and then into the junior organizations like Seattle and Spruce Grove. 
But yeah, it's going to be very exciting uh, next season to see what this team can do. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves because yeah. playoff time is a whole different beast. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting to see what these young guys can do uh, in in their first taste of uh, junior playoffs, too. And that's going to be so much fun uh, in, in that regard. And, you know, it's it's amazing. People are talking now about how did Seattle get Martirana in the fourth round? And they're going to do the same thing with Colton Gerois when they're like, how did they get this guy in the fourth round, formerly of uh, the North Stars. But tell me about the all-HSL goal, which is, I think, so cool that we can start getting into these sort of things. And at some point, we'll have the all-JPHL line or goal or things like that. Tell me about the all-HSL tally. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, last Friday against Fort McMurray in that victory, the second-period goal, Matt Lessig's first game of the season. Uh, he shot it on net. Uh, Grayson Niehaus tipped it, and it, it went in. Um I didn't know that Grayson tipped it, uh, but but he did. So it was almost like one of those who scored the goal real quick before you blurt out the name. Um, but then we learned the other assist went to Ethan Kronowitz. So all three guys that spent some time with SPHA in the Hockey Super League um, combining for that marker. And the coolest thing for me was, although Tyler Woke is the Saints color analyst first and foremost in that setting, he also is the commissioner of the Hockey Super League. So I think for him to see that come to fruition, was pretty cool uh, for him and the job that he's done over the last five years to make that league what it is today. Yeah, like a proud papa moment almost. Almost, right? like, yeah, exactly. Because he's I, had I think he was. such a hand in that, yeah. He, he was super proud in between the benches. And I think if you go back and listen to the broadcast, I asked him moments later, just, I understand you're the analyst and you got to wear that hat here, but put your HSL cap on and just describe mm. to us how cool that was to see it happen. Exactly. And you know what? We, we kind of know that feeling, that proud feeling of when you see something that uh, you've worked hard to, to help develop, which Tyler has within the HSL and the checking clinics that they have, the showcase events that they have. Uh, every, you know, all of that stuff has developed those players, the high-end skill, the things like that. When you are involved in that and it comes to fruition, there is something that you feel proud about. And I, and I think we would feel the same way about what we were able to deliver during the winter championship uh, for the JPHL and what we will be able to deliver down the road. But uh, we had that circled on our calendar for so long and it did not disappoint from my point of view at all. It was so much fun to be a part of and people are still talking about it. So uh, I know the feeling that Tyler can have when he sees something come to fruition because I felt that on that Sunday and all throughout the winter championship of uh, 67 games, including the Saints games that we had that week. Yeah, it was a heck of a week uh, for For Vengeance Media as a whole when you talk about HSL, JPHL, and the Spruce Grove Saints. So much, so much. Um, but going back to the Winter Championships, what a job by uh, yourself and the crew we have. Uh, obviously, Championship Sunday is going to be the standout. The games are actually available for free now, so if you go on SilentIceTV.com, click on For Vengeance at the top, uh, there'll be a tab that you can click on to watch all four championship games. There's also a couple Saints games on there. Just kind of as an example page for us to to see what we, what we can do. And and we're going to pull it up now. It's excellent. It's live TV. But uh, what we can do and what our product can really look like if we take things to the next level. So you see some Four Vengeance Media stuff from the Winter Championships, some Spruce Grove Saints stuff. Um, and then we'll we'll add some corporate videos in there as well that we've worked on 
uh, over the last couple of months for various clientele. Um, but yeah, it, it was really proud moment for us. It was hectic. I mean, there was a lot of late nights, long days and preparation and doing it. But when you see shots like this, even where the thumbnail is of our white rabbit going around the net, announcing a starting goaltender, I, I think it just really makes it all worth it um, for us here at Four Vengeance Media. Just, just a proud moment, I'm sure, for you as well, Dean, to see all the hard work that we put in since, honestly, August in that tournament. Uh, come together for for a big championship Sunday, and <clears throat> it just makes me excited for the upcoming uh, championships in March. We just got the schedule this week: um, three days of uh, four games a day potentially in the four divisions. We'll see how many get to that all important game number three in the best of three series. But um, I'm looking at that four to that one just as much, uh, if not more, now that this one's over uh, come March. But yeah, just so cool and a big stepping stone for our company. Uh, when it comes to showcasing what we can do, um, not not only for just your run-of-the-mill single-cam show, but to have guys like this <laughs> and Gene Principe, is, is, it's remarkable. It, it's epic. So um, just this was uh, kind of the full capabilities of what we could do and, and where we could bring our product to. And, yeah, I couldn't have been prouder to see it come to fruition that Sunday. Oh, man, it was uh, so incredible. I mean – just just looking back on that and and remembering uh everything that went on uh and you know like a a look back at sort of what it looked like uh from from social media um you know it was uh it was pretty incredible um as as we had Gene Principe, Dustin Nielsen, Peter Labardius, Tyler Wolk uh, it was it was so great um to be able to lift the level of coverage that that's out there even from our standards you know we do we just came off a 57 game single game camera yep. showcase that was still better than anything that's out there for for youth coverage so to be able to elevate this and to be able to plan and to do it again for the championships is even more exciting in my opinion yeah it's so cool 100% and to have the the means the creativity and just the power to be able to build these things from the ground up uh, says a lot about the ownership group we have behind us and Dan and Lindsay LeKelt and the tools that they've given us, not only with resources to get personnel, but resources with gear and just the time that they have invested in us to go and just do our thing. You know, the, to, to be honest, getting the opportunity to build a show like that from the ground up doesn't happen very often in very many places. You're always handcuffed or you know there's a ceiling by an executive producer or an executive that doesn't want you to go any farther or there's a budget or there's a constraint and yes we still have budgets we can't go crazy we can't bring a dome truck in <laughs> per se but just to have the creativity the opportunity to go out and do those things it means a lot to us um and it, it's so cool that we get to do it for um one of our own properties in the jphl and we're continuing to do that with spruce grove and the saints there's lots of <clears throat> improvements coming there as well when it comes to the new arena and adding more cameras and now changing some things around in the booth to make the show better, not only for what will be an in-house production in a year from now in a new building, but also for the viewer at home. And then getting to do those things at our brand new building at Silent Ice Center. And, you know, I said this a couple times, it's not just about Silent Ice TV or For Vengeance Media. This is about elevating the product of the JPHL elevating the product of the building and elevating the product of overall 
what Silent Ice Sports and Entertainment is capable of doing. Um, and I thought it was just really cool. Yes, we could all work under Silent Ice and, you know, what we would be the media department or the production department. But to have all these separate entities under the same umbrella come together and execute all these <laughs> things is just so cool for us to see. And And even Gene, I mean, like you said before, we didn't get, you know, 50% Gene Principe. We got 110% of Gene Principe's cooking up breakfast here. He's he's letting kids run through the set, which, you know, might not happen on a regular Sportsnet show. But uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, it was it was so cool. Yeah, it was uh, it was just awesome to to have uh, and for those kids to have it and there's in, in kind of in their spotlight. So uh, people can check this out. All of these games, as you mentioned, and full on Gene Principe at Silent Ice uh, TV uh, dot com. Uh, and yeah, just head to the uh, For Vengeance page on there and uh, people can uh, check it all out. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I think it's amazing. I'm, I'm having so much fun. Um, the people that we're working with, uh, they're, they're young, they're energetic. Um, they want to uh, branch out in the world of broadcasting, and there's not a lot of stations to do that anymore. So I, I was out in BC working with some really young, energetic kids out there, uh, and they just, they're just eating it up at the experience. And then we get a comment on social media about whoever was doing the announcing uh, did such a great job. And then our announcer, Ian Wilson, connects with that person on Twitter. And I think that's also something that's great and positive is a lot of the times the comments you're getting on social media are negative. And I'm not saying that never happens, but there's a connection, whether it's with the players, the fans, the media, the broadcasters, everything and we talk about it you're always developing referees players and broadcasters etc so there is just a different feel about the coverage and the league that we're able to cover yeah 100 percent. i mean credit to you and the job that was executed this past weekend in in vancouver and planet ice delta i mean and people don't understand the behind the scenes of what goes wrong in these in these events and how you deal with them, how you troubleshoot and how you get the show back on the air or fix that little glitch um, or, or whatnot. I mean, internet speed, not fantastic at times. What do you do? You know, power goes out. What do you do? Um, but credit our team and our crew for adapting and overcoming and, and wrestling with these challenges. I mean, it's not just the JPHL at all. We have challenges with Saints broadcast. We have challenges with events at Silent Ice Center. Um, it's just the nature of the beast in the industry that we're in. <clears throat> but going back to your point off the start, to have all these kids who are eager to have this opportunity to bring them in, not only for the kid on that side, but for us as well to welcome them with open arms. I mean, it's just such a win-win two-way street relationship. It's it's so mutually beneficial. <laughs> it's fantastic. And you know what? At the end of the day, without those kids and without – the interns or the students or the fresh people out of school, we wouldn't be able to execute over a thousand games and all these things. And it, it goes back to Spruce Grove and the shows there too. Did we start with Dean Tordzik on the tight follow? Nope. But have we got there now? Yes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fantastic to have these kids a part of it because without them, the show does not go on. Um, <clears throat> there, there was a big tweet the other maybe a couple months ago and Paul Hemming, the lead director for TNT. I think 
he kind of tweeted about it a little bit, but he was in Vegas for a doubleheader on TNT on a Wednesday, just similar to tonight. I think they might have been in Vegas again or Colorado tonight. Nonetheless, um, I think they barely got the show on the air. And, and I'm sitting there on Twitter like, you guys are like Turner Sports. Like, this is Walt Disney. How do you barely get the show on the air? And it's it's freelancers. It's directors doing things. But even at that level, they wouldn't be able to do it without the freelancers, the kids, the TVAs, the people that come in and make the show what it is on site. Yes, you can send in your talent or the director or the producer, but beyond that, it's all local people. And it goes right to the top from us to them. I mean, if it wasn't for those people, just simply wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, and, and you know what? There, You're so right. You don't always know when something might be going wrong because we have really smart people. I mean, there, there was a situation, two situations where I was on the air, uh, and we had uh, our, our technical wizard, uh, Braden Kleist, handling things remotely, going back and forth with uh, the person on site, the producer in two different ranks, at the same time dealing with a situation. Without that, we don't stay on the air for, for that game. And then we had crew, uh, we had unfortunately a power outage uh, in on the one side, our local crew on hand, Hey, what are we going to, we're going to find power somewhere. So, you know, that's the type of thing of just saying, Hey, we lost power game over. No, that's not what we're going to do. We're not going to accept that first of all. Uh, So it's fun to work with people like that, that want to get the job done. Uh, And it's, it's been amazing the developing uh, this game plan with you and, and the future, what the future holds for us. I'm really excited, especially on this show. We're going to be, you're going to be joining me regularly on this show uh, as we both move down towards a silent ice center and and working down there. But we're also going to do a top five story of the week and, Man, we would have had no shortage this week. The World Juniors, the Cutter Gauthier trade, the junior deadline. I mean, uh, the hockey world uh, above us and away from us continues to give us crazy stories. What do you think the bigger story was? The U.S. winning or Canada not winning a medal? John Tortorella. Yeah, and then after (laughs) after Cutter Gauthier's, uh, or no, Kevin Hayes' attacker. What a wild night that was in Philly. Yeah, because Paul Bissonnette doesn't put any fuel on the fire um, at all. But you know what? In, in all honesty, he's great. He's great for the game. He's he's done a wicked job in covering the game, making it more appealing to yes. a lot of people that normally wouldn't know what hockey is. Um, so he's done a great job. And I think uh, Gary Bettman said it to him on set at the Winter Classic. Biz, it's like 49 out of 50 times. I love what you're doing. You're great for the game. It's that one time we got to be careful of. Uh, in all honesty, is, is it Canada not – making it to a semifinal and we're, we're going to go with this and you know what, say what you will about it. Is it because BC is not under hockey Canada anymore? Are the best players actually on that team? When do things start to change at hockey Canada? When we fail to win gold medals, not only at the world junior level, but at the U18 level at the Olympic level one day, do the NHL players get to go? What's the debate there? So, I think that's the biggest story because it spins into our unsanctioned model a lot Mm -hmm. easier than maybe the Americans winning, but take the Americans development model for what you will. It's working. It has been exponentially increasing in the power that they have over the years. I mean, look back to what, 10 world juniors ago, 
The Americans yeah. didn't even stand a chance going in, and now they are a contender every single year. <clears throat> Heck, even go back to the prior to 2010 at the Olympics. Where were the Americans when it comes to hockey? Not not really around in respect to things. Yeah, they had their 1996 World Cup uh, victory, but at the Olympic level, uh, they had struggled. 2011 was the year they upset Canada in Saskatoon, but the the story of the Americans winning isn't as big as Canada losing because this age group for the Americans and and, and you you pointed out the program that hothouse program that they have in Michigan where they take kids at the U15 U16 U17 it's a little bit like a soccer model a little bit like a JPHL model where you're developing a little bit like a program in the BCHL where they're taking a BCHL express and now a BCH era uh a Coquitlam Express, pardon me, and now a Coquitlam HC in the JPHL is a feeder system. And so you're seeing the success that the Americans are having. And sure, they don't have the history of Canada, but the the program speaks for itself. And, and I've always wondered if Canada would ever get that. Well, they are going to get it now, but it's just in a different way. It's just not under Hockey Canada. The question is, will we ever see the best players for Hockey Canada playing for Hockey Canada. I mean, Macklin Celebrini uh, could have played in the BCHL, but not played for Hockey Canada. He was playing in the in the NCAA, so it was okay. But if he would have stayed home in BC and played for whoever, the Express or Surrey or uh, Okanagan, whatever it might be, he would not have been available for Hockey Canada. That is strange to me, is it not to you? Yeah, it's a loop. Same player. He hasn't he hasn't been cloned or changed or nothing has happened to him except he's playing for a different team in a different league. Yeah, and that's one of the many loopholes in the process right now. And I mean, I've had this debate with people that are so pro hockey Canada and people that are so pro BCHL and we love what they're doing. Maybe it's too early to tell what the right way to go is. But you make a great point, and that's the example I always give is, why would BC do that? Now their players can't do anything. They're so hamstrung. They're so handcuffed. They have a record number of commitments this year in the BCHL. Already. The, the, yeah, their their media and broadcasting is far above any junior A league in this country. They are doing a fantastic job. They have a prospects game. Heck, they brought their showcase down to Seattle this year. And okay, an unfortunate bounce there for Team Canada ultimately led to the upset. But back to your point, yes, if Dean Millard is fantastic in the BCHL for the Penticton Vs at 16 and 17, and he goes to North Dakota at 18, he can still play for the World Junior Team. And there's nothing that's going to stop him from doing that because the NCAA is recognized under Hockey Canada as a quote-unquote sanctioned league. Um, and, and you had Brad Lazarowicz on here a couple weeks ago. We had him on the broadcast of the winter championships, he was pretty straightforward on what you called boogeyman stories and how they're simply just false and not correct. And it was kind of a breath of fresh air to have a guy with a BCHL title behind him, come on and tell everybody exactly how it is. So to answer the question off the top, what's the bigger story? Probably this, because <clears throat> when you talk about unsanctioned models and Hockey Canada losing now at the international level. Is this what it takes to maybe get a change going in Hockey Canada? I don't know. 
How long does this need to continue? But let's well, take any let's... business, for example. Let, let's take a, let's take an oil change business or a car dealership. You know, if you don't change your business model in 20 years, the competition is going to surpass you. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And Hockey Canada, like it or not, kind of broke their own model when they introduced the CSSHL and allowed them to be sanctioned. They had zones. You had to play in your zone, move your way up. When you get to junior, awesome. It's it's on junior hockey to pick and pull you and make the team. But then you add in the CSSHL. So now I can move to your quote-unquote zone, Dean, and I could play on the same team as you, and we could load up that team and have a wicked season. So which side of the fence are you on? But the model, it deserves competition. It's getting it now um, with the JPHL, with the BCHL. And ultimately, time will tell, and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and, and I will say this. There are down ages, and there are down age groups. And, you know, the the... I think the people, I, I, the hockey can't like they won gold last year in in an overtime game. So I don't think that we're what uh, right now I would be concerned about the talent level. What I would be concerned about is players saying, you know what, I don't want to go into the WHL. I want to keep my NCAA eligibility. I'm gonna go to the BCHL and play there. Um, or whatever other league decides to maybe follow in Ontario, whatever it might be, who knows uh, about uh, Western Canada. But let's say there's a player that is really highly skilled that wants to just keep his options open. Well, he can go to the BCHL and still have his eligibility. Well, if that player is going to be a top five pick, that means he is not eligible for the world junior team that year until he goes to college. It's like he's not, he's eligible in this league, not eligible here. Then he goes down here to college. Now he's eligible. It's such a, a backwards system. And I think you, the, the WHL in a team, a, a league I grew up with is going to start and probably already has lost players to the BCHL. So that means there could be a really good player that Hockey Canada deems not eligible for their world junior team because he chose to play in BC or another league that, that may follow suit. It's strange. And it's it's there it's like saying we're never gonna draft a Russian. We're never gonna take a goalie in the first round. Hard and fast rules um in, in this case, uh when when they're the BCHL has not done any of the boogeyman stories that have come true is just silly. And they have to come together. They have to get a deal done. They have to figure it out because the adults are ruining it for the children again. Yeah, to some degree, for sure. I mean, if you want to play in the BCHL because of the model they've created, it is the best place to play. If you want to play college hockey. Yes. Plain and simple. And if you want to argue that the numbers speak for themselves, um, so now if you get a player that's going to be a third or fourth line guy at major junior, Quebec, Ontario, or the Western League, do you now say, hey, wait, why don't I go be a second line player in the BCHL, go to college, I now get to develop for eight years or maybe slightly less, and then continue my career. Now you can make the, the major junior argument too where, yeah, you're going to get four years of school paid for after the fact and you know, the CIS deserves a lot of credit. It's not bad sure. hockey by any stretch. It is fantastic hockey. And it's one of the most, I'd say, kept secrets in this country that it's a fantastic place to go watch hockey. So you are getting that. But do you lose the kind of, I guess, spotlight on you or scouting 
on you to make your way to the pro ranks, whether that be the American League or the NHL. I don't know what the right answer is. If you want to fast track yourself to the NHL, sure. Go play first line Western League, Ontario, Quebec, and get right into the American League and away you go. But if you're one of those bubble guys, do you now say BCHL is a better option because I'm going to go to school? I'm going to get a degree from a really good recognized school, and then I'm going to be set up for life with or without hockey after I finish my six to eight years. I don't know what the right answer is. And and don't get us wrong here. Like, (laughs) I'm sure Dean and I will agree. We're the first people when Hockey Canada comes on and it's the Olympics. We're like everybody else. We are bleeding that red, black, and white. You know, we love to see our country succeed at that level. I just hope that they put the best players in there as time continues. The best people for the job. And and honestly, I honestly think that that if you're a first liner in the like, if they ever could get together, I think BCHL teams. I think they're going to compete with the Western Hockey League for players and not just second line and third liners. I think top line players are going to see how good the hockey is in the BCHL and they're going to steal players from the Western Hockey League, not just guys that are looking at college. At at some point, there's going to be a, a back and forth. Remember, the WHL is a partner with Hockey Canada, right? So the WHL has the rules of, of imports and different things. Um, the WHL can play. Vanek Popel, when the Titans hockey union season ends, can go play for the Seattle Thunderbirds. So there is things the WHL can do. So they're, they're, I'm thinking the guys can say, I'm going to go play in the BCHL instead of the WHL keep my WHL options open, CHL, and my NCAA. And I think they're going to to get really high-quality players that normally would, wouldn't give it a second chance and go in the jun, junior aid, the Tier 1 route. And I, I, I honestly think, give it a little bit more time, it's going to happen more and more. Yeah, I mean, you're leaving the most doors open that you possibly can while exactly. playing the best hockey that you exactly. possibly can. So it's, it's almost a no-brainer in that sense. We always joked um, in the preseason, especially with Brooks and just the proximity, you know, why don't you guys play an exhibition game against Medicine Hat? You know, and right, it, it would never happen because what if Brooks won the hockey game? Then it would never be lived down uh, from a Western Hockey League side of things. Right. Um, so there's there's always interesting stories like that, but <clears throat> not that I love to, to pump Brooks' tires and everything, but they are the benchmark, like it or not in junior a hockey in this country and they have been for the past couple seasons but stack them up against one of the western league teams you know i'm i'm confident at least at the beginning of the year or even now still they would give the edmonton oil kings a good game you know Mm -hmm. brooks might win the game and yeah they're not going to beat every team in the western league but contrary to where it was five or ten years ago junior a and major junior have come so much more closer when it comes to pace of play and the quality of play and the skill and the talent you know take the 2019 national championship bandits stack them up against 75 percent of major junior teams i think it's a great game well yeah it's why the whl will probably never play against the ushl Uh, we've always said when we were doing the pipeline show it'd be great to get the different champions of the league together but there's nothing to that those CHL teams have everything to lose in that. And so maybe someday we'll get there when leagues and teams can put their egos aside and say, 
Let's do what's best for the fans. What a novel concept, and the players, what a novel concept. But until until the bigger leagues and teams and, and the, those want to do it, because the, the, the smaller leagues would do it in a heartbeat. They do it in a heartbeat just for the exposure and different things. So maybe we'll get there at some point. I know we'll get to uh, top five stories starting next week and so many more big things to come, Brandon. Uh, big night uh, for the Saints and uh, another big weekend uh, for us at Four Vengeance and the JPHL showcase in Langley and a showcase uh, also here in Edmonton. But thanks for joining me on the show tonight. Get some rest and we'll chat soon, man. Yeah, appreciate it. I'd love BC to take a stab at a tournament like that, the North American, whatever you call it, minor junior championship yeah. between the USHL and AHL. I'd love to see it. Um you know what? If it hasn't crossed their minds, I'd be amazed because they're very innovative over there. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to get the studio going. I look forward to spending more time on the show and uh, keep up the good work, my friend. It's been a heck of a ride so far. And now he puts the U15 jersey on as the captain. And here's a break in as Lynch takes it across. And what a job by Burden stretching out to make the great pad save. Rose and green. Circle back up, knee high, cutting to the front of the net, goes to the forehand and scores! What an individual effort from Fritz Furback Rosengreen. Like he was doing laps for a while and then cut to the front of the net, backhand, forehand, scores! And bringing it in, trying to get around and LaCelt cleaned up in front of the net, sending it out into the neutral zone. Pew takes it over. And bust back in. Pew getting around the D, comes in front. Oh, baby, what a goal. Liam Pugh tucks it past Wade, and it's 6-1. And you might not see a prettier one than that in a while. Oh, boy. And Okanagan's Broussard brings it over. Cutting to the front of the net. Oh, what a beauty from Broussard. Carries it through the crease and tucks it in around the leg of the goaltender to Marquee. And Okanagan opens up a 6-0 lead. Maglio races down to keep it alive. And there's a check on Schmidt by Lashley. As over here in the corner, Pedersen and Voss were tangled up. Short side, snipe as Keith breaks the power play bubble. And what a shot that was from Liam Keith. Oh, man. Langley. Westner now. This puck just sent off the boards. Max Sheffer now comes back the other way. Had a chance to talk to Sheffer at the end of the second period. Always a great person to talk to as he goes for an opening. Sheffer fires a shot. He scores. Oh, what a goal by Captain Max Sheffer. Gets his team within two. And that's one. I believe he fell down on the ice. He was late to get up as well. Now, Kootenay sends it back to the blue line. That's knocked down by Price. And he walks in. Nice move. Price sends it back door. What a beauty. Weir puts it away. But wow, was that a nice one from Price. Two straight power play goals for Okanagan. It's 3-0. Marchand shot through. Lie makes the stop. They get it back to Endicott again. 
And there's another shot. Rebound to Endicott. Sam Y with a great pad save. Oh, wow. Endicott staring at an empty net. And Sam Y reaches out with the pad and robs it. Rasty gives it back out to Robinson. Left side, Robinson misplayed this one. Taken out of the puck, finally. Langley grabbed this one. They go back down the left side with Pugh coming inside. Pugh goes in, back pass, back out in front. Shot score! Morris gets the goal. Pulls out the win, set up by Pugh. What a breakout play, going back down the left side. They fought hard, coming from behind to pull out that win. Finds Korsgaden up to Pugh. Pugh hooks that cross ice. Picked back up by Korsgaden. Korsgaden around one, around two. He shoots and he scores! An absolute beauty by Owen Korsgaden! Deeks right through both defenders and puts it five hole on Y. And 28 seconds into the man advantage, Korsgaden has his second of the night. That was a terrific four days in Delta with some impressive action in some really, really good upsets, some parody. It'll be fun as the teams get back to their regional showcases. Uh, one in Langley and one in Edmonton at the Silent Ice Center, Hesco Arena, the BC Showcase we played in Langley. Morinville Ice Gardens also uh, for Edmonton. You can catch all of the games and all the age divisions on Silent Ice tv.com as for the saints well they are off the rest of the week back on ice in canmore on the 19th of january so a nice break for everybody involved there and the thunderbirds meanwhile are home to portland on the 12th of january uh, so uh, they will get right back at it, and they will be happy to have Scott Ratzlaff back in the fold. And that's where we'll head to next. Canada having a tough one against Czechia. Veteran play-by-play -play man Dennis Bayak joins the show. He was in Sweden for the World Juniors and gives us a first-hand opinion on Canada, U.S., Sweden, and more, plus his fantastic career behind the mic. Dennis, thanks very much uh, for joining us. Uh, obviously, I'm sure you're getting a lot of congratulations uh, from people on the retirement, but congratulations uh, here from uh, Edmonton, where, of course, uh, you called games in the National Hockey League, but you most recently were calling in the World Juniors, and maybe that's where we'll start. And Canada had a disappointing finish. I don't think anybody is going to disagree with that, but I find the reaction sometimes a little bit much. It's fine to be disappointed, but people sometimes fail to realize that there's not every year is spectacular. There are down years for an age group, uh, for organizations, countries, and sometimes a, t a team just has an off tournament. What was your reaction, I guess, to Canada losing in the quarterfinal? Well, let's take that one step further, Dean, and you're correct uh, in what you just said. But there's also other countries that are getting better. And there's other countries with very, very good hockey players. Sweden was a very good team. U.S. was a very good team. Uh, Czechia showing went to, to the final last year, uh, and they wanted to medal again. Slovakia had a very good team there. They had 10 players on that team that were there for the third World Junior. So when you put it all into context, you're right. You're not going to win every year. And some years you have... Uh, teams that are are very good and other teams you have or other years you have teams that 
it's younger players and next year is going to be our year. And uh, from what I understand, next year's group is very, very good. And uh, when the tournament returns to Ottawa, Canada will again be a favorite. And uh, yes, everybody's disappointed. Canada, and that's the way it should be. Canada goes to every tournament expecting to play uh, for a medal uh, and probably a gold medal. But uh, as we've seen in the past and we saw again here recently, it uh, doesn't happen. And a strange game. They get behind 2 nothing, and then the, the winning goal comes so late in the game, they don't even have a chance to get back and, and uh, a couple of minutes at least to try and find the equalizer on just a strange bounce. So, uh, you know, those things do happen. Yeah, it's and and you, you I think you nailed it as far as other countries. I mean, Czechia meddling two years in a row is if for them. You know that that's you know Canada would say oh whatever, but for Czechia that is massive, and and I think that was a big one. And then of course the gold medal game was I think a marketer's dream for that tournament. You have the host country against a, a world powerhouse in everything they seem to do in the U.S. It didn't end that way, so it was a dream matchup, nightmare finish. But uh, for the marketing and the overall tournament, uh, you wanted Sweden in the, in the gold medal game. They just didn't have enough against. What we're talking about now is a powerhouse age group for the U.S. You feel for Sweden because when you look back at this tournament over the years, uh, they always had this great run in the preliminary round. I think there were 54 straight wins at one point in time uh, before they finally lost a game and they had some great comebacks through all of that. And yet they have not meddled and as much as that record would indicate. And it was important to get them to the final, no doubt. And uh, you, you kind of, and, and I mean, the best team won. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, but you would have liked to have seen for the fans and for Sweden, for the country of Sweden, uh, you know, for them to, to find a way to, to maybe come up with a win and, and pick, pick up the gold medal. It was a rough year in waste for Sweden. They got dumped by Latvia at the World Championship, which was a surprise. And, uh, you know, and now they get to the final and can't finish it. But the team, the, the best team, I think, won the tournament. I didn't see much of Sweden because I was over on Team USA side. Uh, but Team USA was a very, very good team. They're talented. They're patient. They're confident. Uh, their defense is so mobile. Their goaltending was good. And when all was said and done, uh, the best team came up with the gold medal. Yeah, you know, if Canadian fans are feeling bad about losing in the quarters, you just mentioned Sweden is having a really tough international year, and the U.S. are are on top in a lot of things, and it goes back to uh, some age groups are just better than others, and and you know goes back to the draft. Not every first overall pick is on equal footing, so I I, I think a lot of it is, um, you know, it it does go in waves, and and you you talk about Canada losing in the quarters this year. While well, they could re- easily bounce back with a younger age group uh, next year. And then we'll see what happens for a team like Czechia. I mean, for them to reach the medal round again and, and defeat Canada, um, this goes back to the last time where they won back-to-back golds. There are some people that are saying, well, it's Czechia winning a medal without Russia. I'll admit Russia adds a dynamic to this tournament, but that shouldn't take away from what Czechia has accomplished in this tournament. Uh, They beat Canada. Uh, They didn't have to worry about Russia. They beat a powerhouse in this tournament and medaled, and I think that's worth celebrating for that country. What's happening with these countries, Dean, like Czechia, like Slovakia, 
Uh, we're seeing it with Switzerland. Even the, the the group, the next year's group of the Swiss players is supposed to be very good. So their, their goal this year was to stay in the main group to allow this young group that's coming up to compete at this level. Uh, what's happening with some of these countries, they're gaining their confidence. They're, they're starting to believe that we can play with Canada. We can play with Team USA. Czechia took Team USA to a seven-round shootout. That was the only blemish on Team USA's record was the one game where they picked up two points instead of a clean three points because the game didn't end in regulation. So uh, Czechia showed in the tournament that they were they were a very good team. They were a big team. Uh, they took the puck to the net. They did a lot of good things. But th these countries are gaining more and more confidence every year uh, when it comes to the World Junior. What does the uh, World Junior mean for you as far as, uh, you know, the different things and the many things that you've been able to accomplish in your career? How special was it to end on such a prestigious tournament? Well, it's interesting because uh, back when there was a labor dispute in, uh, in 2012, uh, 13, uh, it was a late decision when they realized uh, just in early December okay, this, this is not going to get settled uh, by the time the World Junior rolls around. If it does get settled, it's going to be into the new year. So they sent Shane Knighty and I to Ufa, Russia, to do radio, TSN radio. And that was Paul Graham saying, hey, you guys, uh, looks like the NHL is not happening. Do you guys want to go? We said, absolutely. And away we went. And then on the way back, uh, we fly to Frankfurt, and we turn our phones on at the Frankfurt airport and find out that the NHL has settled and we're going back to work in the NHL when we get back. So that's where the whole thing kind of started. And then it evolved to the point where Paul Graham thought, I'm going to check and see whether the Winnipeg Jets are okay with it, whether Dennis is okay with it, because they want, then thought, they thought, okay, let's, we need a second crew. They were expanding their coverage and Craig Button and I, uh, uh, Laura Dyken, Dave Reed, we all kind of came on the scene as the second crew that handled the the other pool, the non-Canadian pool. And it kind of morphed from there. It, it morphed from there into a world championships. It morphed into every world junior after that. Uh, this was my 11th, this last one. And uh, as we see there, the, uh, the presentation that happened between the second and third period of that final game. So uh, whether it was the Winnipeg Jets and the NHL, whether it was the World Championship, and, and the World Championship couldn't have ended better. We were in Finland, Brian Engblom and I, who was actually, as it turns out, Brian Engblom was my first analyst in Winnipeg. So it's funny how things go full circle. And then we had to go to Riga, Latvia for the quarterfinals. And what a finish. I mean, it was Sweden and, and Riga, the atmosphere in the building, the atmosphere outside the building was electric. And what a way to finish the World Championship part. I'll backtrack a little bit. Uh, the final game was against the Seattle Kraken in the NHL with the Winnipeg Jets. I spent four years working in Seattle with the Seattle Thunderbirds. So there was that tie-in. And then, of course, uh, it ended at the World Junior Championship. So I kind of did the retirement thing in steps. But uh, the World Junior was always special. I mean, to see these young players and then watch them as they – come into the National Hockey League and and to see some of the countries that have the stars, and we see it more with Canada and the U.S. now, the younger players are making it. 
But there was players that were, you know, three, four World Junior Championships, and then to see them move on from that to the National Hockey League. So I love the game. Uh, I love the tournament, uh, and it'll always be special. Well, we loved your call of it, too. And the thing I like about the World Juniors is, you know, there are junior stars who that is their Olympics. You know, maybe they don't get any farther, but it's so neat to go back in the history and say, oh, look at this guy in his World Junior, or this guy didn't play World Juniors for whatever reason. I think it's always kind of fun to do that. And and, and you and Craig. I'll add, and I'll add one more thing. I'll add one more yeah. thing to that. Yeah. yeah, I'll add one more thing to that, Dean. That's why it was important to have that summer tournament. Yes. to give those players who were graduating out of junior to give them the opportunity to compete at one more world junior championship. Uh, you know, I know they wanted to have the tournament and everything else, but they, that was part of it. They felt these players deserve the opportunity to complete the junior international junior career uh, with a tournament. All right. So you also uh, called games for the Winnipeg Jets, and here we, we get a chance to see you. Uh, this is such a thrill, and I think what a great uh, move by the Jets to let you call out the uh, the starting lineup uh, for your final game. Uh, at the time we're recording this, the Jets are number one in the league, and this comes, as you well know, after a summer of unknown, whether it was coaches, free agents. Last year, you know, did not end well, and my friends in Winnipeg were asking me what is going on. How do you think, and why do you think this team is where they are now on top of the NHL when a lot of people were picking them to absolutely blow up this year depending on what happened well first off what we were just seeing on the here is was was very very special uh, I was getting ready to leave for the rink and I got a text message from Scott Brown of the Jets saying we want you to do this are you okay with doing it well then I had to get a hold of our producer, Kevin Pratt, and then we had to work around some things because this was actually happening during our pregame show. And Sarah Orlowski, Kevin Sawyer, uh, all the crew got together and said, this has to happen, so let's record a segment of the pregame show so that I could be free to go down and do this. And this was something I will never forget. Uh, I mean, it was... Uh, something that I didn't expect and a very, very nice touch by the Winnipeg Jets. So uh, I will thank them for that. As for the team as to what has happened, uh, I saw the game here in Arizona on Sunday when they beat the Arizona Coyotes. I watched the, the game uh, last night when they beat the Columbus Blue Jackets. This team has a very, very good structure. I had a brief chat with uh, Rick Bonus uh, the other day. Uh, here in Arizona before before the game, and, uh, and and he just smiled. I said, "It's it was very uh, important for this team to get by what happened at the end of last year, and this team has gotten by what happened. We all know the controversy; things didn't go well the second half. Uh, Rick Bonus came out and said some things. Uh, Blake Wheeler was the captain at that time. Said, "I wish that he would have told us directly." Uh, there are those who believe that he did tell them that directly, and and so it goes. So you're right. It was a very interesting uh, and wondersome, if there is such a word, summer for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, how was this team going to start? What was going to happen with Blake Wheeler? So as it turns out, Blake Wheeler leaves. Adam Lowry comes in, and I'm not questioning Blake Wheeler's 
captaincy one iota here. I was not in the room, but from talking to some people and from what you see, uh, I think Adam Lowry and the results will back this up, I guess. Adam Lowry has done a terrific job as captain of the Winnipeg Jets. And I think a lot of that, a lot of the credit goes to him. And I think it goes to the entire team, especially the veterans. Uh, I think they got together and said, look, what happened last year is over and done. Uh, let's learn from it. Let's move on. And then we'll add to that the deal that Kevin Dayoff made for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And it really wouldn't matter if Pierre-Luc Dubois was leading the National Hockey League in scoring right now. It would still be a good trade for the Winnipeg Jets because they needed some depth in the forward position. And that trade allowed them to do that. So uh, everybody seems happy. Uh, winning certainly does that. Makes it a lot easier uh, to smile after games. But I went down to the dressing room and talked to some of the players after the game the other day. And, uh, I mean, there there seemed to be a very, very tight-knit group. And, and again, winning does make things a lot easier. But uh, they're structured. They've got good goaltending. They've got offense. And they don't waver from the game that they're playing. It doesn't matter whether they're down one, down two, up one, up two. They play the same game. So the challenge now for them is to, to kind of continue the record that they have of goals against three or under goals against. I think I can't remember what the number is, 20 some. And then even now two goals against and less uh, per game against is remarkable. And we all know defense wins and uh, their structure right now, defensively, especially is very good. Um, okay. So uh, I have to chat about your, your broadcasting career. 1970, uh, you took a job as the play-by-play voice of the Flynn Flon Bombers. Not many people in our country know where Flynn Flon is, nor the legend of Flynn to Betty Flonitan. I'm a Manitoba kid, so I know all about it, but what was the dream for you? And was that just the very beginning and you couldn't believe somebody was paying you to talk about hockey? Well, you, you always know there's, if you once you get in, once you get in, you know there's going to be a last game. But right. you never know if there's going to be a first game. That We don't know that. Now, again, I was born and raised in Manitoba. So to start my broadcasting career, finish my broadcasting career, a lot of stops in between. But to start it and finish it there uh, is something as well. Uh, I had taken a radio course. Uh, our instructor called us and said, Flynn Flon has an opening. Would you be interested? I said, absolutely. And went up there and got the job. And part of the job description initially was not play by play. Uh, the newspaper, a gentleman by the name of Bruce Ketty was doing, who worked for the newspaper, traveled with the team. Therefore, it made more sense for him to do the play by play. And he did. And then one day in November, I think it was, he was under the weather and I get a call about four o'clock saying you're doing the game tonight. It was against the Brandon Wheat Kings. And then I did the game and I think they realized, okay, we now have somebody on staff. Therefore, we don't need to pay somebody extra or whatever the reason was. I didn't ask because it didn't matter to me. I was doing hockey play by play. And uh, I mean, the Flin Flon Bombers, I mean, I mean, they were legendary. And uh the Chuck Arnestons, the Gene Cars, the Gary Howitz, the Blaine Stoutons, the, and I could go on and on and on, uh, the Kenny Bairds. Uh, uh, Patty Gannell was the general manager and head coach, and, and they played this rough and tumble style of hockey that uh, when they went on the road, everybody knew the Bombers are in town. There's going to be some zip to the game tonight. So 
Uh, great place to start. Uh, loved every minute of it there. And, and that's why you always, and that's why that Jersey presentation was so special because uh, that was the, that was my opening to do play by play, something that I wanted to do since I was a kid. Uh, my brother and I played ball hockey. Uh, I was the goaltender and the play by play guy. And there was six teams in the NHL. I knew pretty much all the players and for the most part, the line combinations that didn't change very much back then. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, so that's where it got started. But then to finally do it in front of a microphone with an audience listening, uh, you know, so that's where it started. And, and that's why Flin Flon will always be special. Same as, uh, and I'll fast track here a little bit, same as Edmonton will always be special because that was my first NHL broadcast. A lot of teams in that league had the Flin Flon flu when the Bombers would roll into town because Patty Janelle did not play an easy uh, type of uh, uh, of hockey at all. So who were your favorites when you were growing up? Um, you know, I, I fell in love with because of Vin Scully, a, a, the, the greatest voice in baseball. He could have been, you know, reading the back of a craft dinner box and I would have tuned in. And of course, I, I really love Bob Cole, but I would listen to Week King games on my radio as a kid and imagine it all. Uh, where did your love of wanting to do it come from and, and who did it come from? Well, Lou Hill was the play by play gentleman for the Dauphin Kings when I was growing up. So that was there. And then we didn't get much hockey. We had Saturday night games. And even then, it wasn't the whole game. And then Sunday night, uh, they would be on CBC radio. There would be a radio game. But I would listen to uh, CJGX Yorkton would come into to where I was just north of Dauphin. Uh, you could pick up other radio stations. Uh, you know, some cold nights, you'd pick up some NHL games even a little bit. And I would listen and, uh, you know, the, it always, it always got my attention. I think, I think, uh, radio, I think radio and sports go together and I think play by play back then, especially not now because it's, we have it on our phones, you have it on your television sets, you have it on your computers, whatever the case may be, but we're talking, we're talking 1970 and, uh, and even before. So um, every time I got an opportunity to listen to somebody uh, do play-by-play, I did. And uh, I just thought on radio, play-by-play on radio, I thought was, was special. And uh, I loved the game of hockey, you know, back from, all the way back to when I was a kid and, and kind of away it went from there. Yeah. But then, uh, going forward, but going forward, I mean, Danny Galvin, Foster Hewitt did the 72 series. Bill Hewitt came on and you always knew if Danny Gallivan was doing the game, it was from Montreal. If, if Bill Hewitt was doing the game, it was from Toronto. And then Bob Cole came along later, and I firmly believe this, that Bob Cole was the best there ever was. Uh, I, I just think he had this ability to know that something was happening before it happened. Uh, his ability to take the play from here to here to here uh, was masterful. And uh, I just I just think he was so good at what he did. I think the one thing that Bob Cole did really well that I also from from researching and reading about it that Vin Scully did well is they didn't steal the moment. They let the moment breathe. And, and you've seen video of Bob Cole holding off 
you know, his color person, uh, color analyst, Vince Scully never really had one, but let the play breathe. Like the moment I fell in love with the L.A. Dodgers is Kirk Gibson's home run. Vince Scully gives us like two and a half minutes of Nat sounds almost, maybe even more. And Bob Cole was great with that. They never made themselves bigger than the moment, but they always became bigger, uh, almost as big as that moment with their iconic call. And I just thought they knew exactly what they had to do. And so many people think play-by-play is about filling time and filling words, and it is. But a lot of it is about letting the play tell itself. It's easier to do that on TV, but even through radio, the sound of the game, the sound of baseball is something I absolutely love on the radio. And, and then you can imagine it yourself as the play develops. Well, you paint a picture for the, for the listeners on radio. I mean, that's basically your job as the play-by-play person is to, is to paint a picture for those who are listening. But uh, at the same time, there's little things that come into it. You don't talk over, in Vince Scully's case, the, the crack of the bat on a home run. That has to be, that has to be heard. Uh, same as in hockey, if it goes off the crossbar, uh, I mean, I know sometimes you, you, don't, you can't pause because you don't know what's happening. Uh, but they were legendary. I mean, Vince Scully, I listened to him on an interview one time, and they asked him, and I can't remember what the exact question was, but it was, should somebody be playing ahead of this guy? And Vince Cully simply said, I'm the play-by-play guy. Mine is not, my job is not to analyze. And that was Vince Scully. I mean, let alone the voice. I mean, I'm not sure there was a smoother voice in, in broadcasting uh, than Vince Scully. But they, they knew how to entertain their audience. Uh, you mentioned that Vince Scully had games by himself. And we're talking three hours of, of baseball. And yet not once was the listener saying, I need to hear another voice. The listener saying, I'm bored with Vince Scully uh, because those legendary broadcasters just knew how to bring it. I never thought I would ever do play-by-play in, in the last few years. I've absolutely fallen in love with it. Uh, and I'm, I'm constantly now watching others and trying to pick up and learn. What is some uh, piece of advice uh, maybe that somebody gave you or that you would give, uh, I'm sure you've been asked a lot before, uh, for a young play-by-play. Uh, there are some terrific young voices out there uh, or somebody that's thinking of, I'd like to give it a try. What is something that I always tell people, it's it's never as hard as you think it is. It's It's not easy by all means, but once you do it a little bit, you sort of figure out if you're going to be able to do it pretty quickly and then you get the hang of it but perfecting it it's like anybody can do it not everybody can do it at that top level what do you think is a a good piece of advice for a young play-by-play person well basically be able to connect what you see on the ice into what you're saying as quickly as possible and and as accurately as possible don't try and jam too much in you can't do play-by-play of absolutely everything that is happening so that would be the advice early would be uh, know where the play is. Don't put yourself up here when the play is at center ice because you're going to confuse the listener. The listener is going to think that something is about to happen and really nothing is happening because the play is at center ice. So you have to be able to understand where the game is compared to the level where you are as a broadcaster and then be able to follow the play. And as it gets closer, uh, get the excitement in your voice as you go along. But this is, is, I firmly believe this, and, and uh, listen, be your own critic. You know what you want to sound like. 
you're the one who is responsible for what's coming out of your mouth and you're going to have to answer to that so i would let uh i would tape a game i would let it go for a couple three weeks so that some of the intricacies of the game were out of my mind and then i would listen can i follow the play do i know where the puck is do i know what's happening in the game don't forget to tell the score because people don't listen as intently sometimes as we think they do uh but then be my own critic i didn't like how i said this why did i say that i need to be smoother on this uh you know i need to explain this better i didn't explain exactly what happened on that penalty call and so so those those are the little areas that uh we can all get better at uh by being our own critics and i i think that's uh, that's a huge part of it uh, that's terrific. Uh, thank you so much uh, for spending a little bit of time with us. Congratulations on uh, just an absolutely wonderful career. Uh, and as a fellow Manitoban, uh, it's great to have somebody to, to look up to in the broadcasting industry. Enjoy retirement, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you in a rink uh, from time to time. Dean, it was great. I loved Edmonton the two years I was there and then got lucky enough to go to Toronto uh, for for a lot of years and then... Uh, lucky enough to get a call from Paul Graham at TSN saying the Winnipeg Jets are, uh, the Atlanta Thrashers are going back to Winnipeg. We've got the broadcast rights. Would you be interested in going back to Manitoba? And uh, I said, absolutely. And uh, Bev and I packed up and, uh, and away we went. And the rest, as they say, is history. But through it all, it's been great. Uh, the, the days I spent as general manager of the Seattle Thunderbirds, general manager of the Tri-City Americans, assistant general manager with the Saskatoon Blades, uh, the Memorial Cups that we were involved in. Uh, it's all part of, of what made the past 53 and a half years electric for me and uh, just, just a lot, a lot of memories. So uh, thanks for having me. Now that was a very fun conversation and a lot that young broadcasters and old broadcasters like me that can take out of that. Uh, by the way, Silent Ice TV is home to the JPHL, the HSL, and special events like the Winter Championship that we just had, Challenge Cups, one more coming up from Calgary later this month, and more, including the NORAM Cup, the Grand Prix, lots of stuff going on at the Silent Ice Center and on Silent Ice TV. You can watch live games, catch up on when you missed, and plus, of course, we have Game Changers and more great content produced by for vengeance media all right thanks so much for joining us once again here on game changers of course you can find this show on silent ice tv or your favorite podcast network if you just want to listen check that out if you want to see what we're talking about it's silent ice tv and of course there's no charge for this show lots of great stuff coming up in 2024 Brandon Ewan Sheshin will join me regularly. We'll do our top five stories of the week and look ahead to what will always be a big weekend on the ice. Thanks very much for joining me. I hope you had a great 2023 and looking forward to an even better 2024. It's always a great time to double pad stack. We'll see you in the rink.